Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, October 20th, 2022, the 638th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the show on a range of podcast platforms and video platforms. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. Now, before we get started today, I want to make sure that everyone knows that the Marco Polo Research Group, as led by former Peter Navarro staffer Garrett Ziegler in the Trump White House, has been released. And Garrett announced that yesterday on Substack. Go visit the Marco Polo Substack from this article, Report on the Biden Laptop. 
You can link to the report. You can download the report for yourself. I would absolutely encourage everyone to take a look and read it. It seems daunting. It is very dense, but Garrett has a great sense of humor. He is a great writer and the research that he and his team have done is absolutely incredible. So Marco Polo USA.substack.com. So here's what he says. For the past 13 months, Marco Polo, a nonprofit research group comprised of six men from across the United States dedicated to exposing corruption and blackmail, has been writing a comprehensive report on the Biden laptop and the crimes thereon. Our motives and budget were transparent. Thousands of Americans financed its production. We neither sought nor received any institutional or corporate backing. We were delayed for various reasons, but finished the dossier for $35,000 under budget. At long last, the report is complete. It has been sent to members of the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, along with every contact on the Biden laptop, which includes everyone from Hunter's classmates at Archmere Academy to a sizable portion of the current White House staff. It is simple but dense. 630 pages, 2,020 footnotes, broken up neatly into sections with the biggest focus being business-related crimes. We believe that is the deepest digital colonoscopy ever performed on a sitting U.S. first family. And Garrett then goes into the technical details of the report and where to find it and says, we will have much more to say about this in the coming days and weeks and months. And I hope to have Garrett back on this show to talk about the report at length, which I have read almost all of at this point. What you will find is essentially a political mafia, a crime family whose corrupt and criminal dealings and the selling of Joe Biden's political power have spanned decades. You will understand the Biden family and how dark and degenerate they are. It's not just Hunter. It's not just Ashley. It's Joe Biden and everyone around him. Joe Biden is the patriarch of a political mafia. And the truth is, like any mafia, even the patriarch of the family is still answering to people above him. And that is exactly what we see going on with the Bidens. They are not only committing all these crimes for their own personal benefit, for their own personal wealth and power. They are doing it on behalf of people more wealthy and more powerful than them. It is in every way a criminal grift. And we are left with a world-class grifter and degenerate scumbag pretending to be president after stealing an election. That is the state of play. So go to marcopolousa.substack.com, download the report, read the report, forward that Substack entry, the report on the Biden laptop, around to the people you know, let people know this is what it is. This is what everyone's been talking about for the last two years. This is what they attempted to cover up. And when you read it, you'll know why they were so concerned about the Hunter Biden laptop. And just one more note about the report. When you're going through it, you'll notice the footnotes at the bottom of each and every page. 
there are active hyperlinks in the report. So you can simply click on them and the articles will pop right up. The referenced information will pop right up. And I just like to make a note of that because if you're just looking at it, it just looks like a flat PDF, but those links are active hyperlinks. So let's get started with a discussion about a country where Joe Biden has a long history of corrupt dealings as proven on the laptop. And I'm talking about Ukraine. This is from just the news yesterday. Rick Grinnell appeared on the just the news podcast. John Solomon reports Biden funds both sides. Nineteen billion dollars to Ukraine while brokering deal with Iran who supplies Russia war drones. And they have a discussion about a recent tweet that Rick Grinnell wrote. He wrote the Biden administration is giving Ukraine 19 billion dollars while negotiating with the Iranian regime to give them billions of dollars. All the while, Iran supplies Russia with drones to attack Ukraine. Biden is officially on both sides of the Ukraine war. The former ambassador comments, it's outrageous. But for Washington, it just means that all those big contractors get to get more money. A war goes on and they keep funding this whole mess. Meanwhile, diplomacy is pushed off to the side. It's such a missed opportunity. Now, I don't know about you. I'm suspecting it's true for you. It is absolutely true for me that over the years of my adult life and including some of my education in high school and college, I often heard that the people truly controlling the world, whether it be bankers or any number of other global communists and world leaders, the people actually in control have always funded both sides of a war. And I always thought that was really mysterious. Like, why would somebody be funding both the Nazis and the U.S. as it fights against the Nazis, for instance? I imagine that each country was independent of those bankers. Each country wanted to win the wars they fought because they were fighting wars to protect their country. But that's not really true, because what the global communists ultimately want to do is subvert countries, subvert sovereign rule so that they can take over entire countries and exploit those countries for the talents of the people the labor of the people and the natural resources of that country that in a sovereign nation would in some sense be owned by the people. And the way they do that is by creating chaos, like the chaos we've seen here, like the chaos we see around the world. These same people will fund organizations like BLM Antifa. They will fund the Democrat Communist Party and they will fund complicit Republicans. They fund all these people so that these people will implement the global communist agenda. If there is too much pushback on their agenda, then they create chaos. And if that doesn't work, then eventually they create wars so they can drain the financial coffers of the country so that they can take the country's best men and send them to their eventual death. And so they can eventually come in and fix the country in exchange for having their agenda implemented further. Then they have places like Ukraine that are just proxy states. They are hubs of corruption and the global communist order needs these countries. 
They have them around the world and they facilitate things like money laundering and human trafficking and research into deadly pathogens. They arm these countries and build up their militaries so they can, quote unquote, defend themselves. The war that we see happening is not Russia against Ukraine. Russia does not have an interest in killing all of the Ukrainian people and stealing their land. This is a war between the global communists and Russia. Russia is trying to eliminate one of the hubs for global communist corruption and criminality. The global communists don't want that. That's why they're pushing so much money into one faction in Ukraine. Remember, good twin versus evil twin worldwide. Sovereign nationalists against global communists worldwide. And it makes sense that the global communists would fund, quote unquote, every country when you understand that what they're doing is funding the evil twin global communist faction within that country. When Joe Biden is sending money to Ukraine, what he's doing is committing the American taxpayer to paying back the bankers who are creating new money and devaluing our currency to keep their hub of global corruption. Joe Biden is not funding Ukraine. Joe Biden is not funding Iran. The global communists are funding both. And Joe Biden is the face of that. Joe Biden is standing out front doing this in our name, committing our people to a lifetime of servitude to pay back the bankers for the war they're using to increase their own power worldwide or to at least protect their power while it is chipped away. The global communists intentionally go after the citizens of nations. They are trying to torture and destroy the citizens so that the leaders of those nations, those sovereign leaders who are not on board with the global communist agenda, the citizens will be tortured and destroyed until those leaders back down. That's what we're seeing in the world. And they will escalate the situation until those leaders back down. What we're seeing right now is a leader who will not back down in Vladimir Putin. And in response, we can see that the global communists are more than happy to torture and destroy the citizens of countries, even when those countries are the most aligned with the global communist agendas. The countries of Europe are perhaps looking at a winter without resources to heat and power their nations. Places around the world are looking at food shortages. Inflation is rising globally because the bankers are flooding money into the system and devaluing the currency. They are changing the amount of spending power you have in order to make you more dependent on the system and see their solution as the only way out. There is a long history of this, and very few people know this history better and have taken more advantage of it than George Soros. This is from MintPressNews.com on June 15th, 2015. Leaked. George Soros, puppet master behind Ukrainian regime, trails of corruption revealed. Rarely does the world get a true look inside the corrupt world of Western oligarchs and the brazen manipulations they use to enhance their fortunes at the expense of the public good. The following comes from correspondence of the Hungarian-born billionaire, 
now naturalized American speculator George Soros. The hacker group Cyber Berkut has published online letters allegedly written by Soros that reveal him not only as puppet master of the U.S.-backed Ukraine regime, they also reveal his machinations with the U.S. government and the officials of the European Union in a scheme where, if he succeeds, he could win billions in the plunder of Ukrainian assets. All, of course, would be at the expense of Ukrainian citizens and of EU taxpayers. Again, 2015. What the three hacked documents reveal is a degree of behind-the-scenes manipulation of the most minute details of the Kiev regime by the New York billionaire. In the longest memo, dated March 15th, 2015, and marked confidential, Soros outlines a detailed map of actions for the Ukraine regime, titled, A Short and Medium-Term Comprehensive Strategy for the New Ukraine. The memo from Soros calls for steps to quote, restore the fighting capacity of Ukraine without violating the Minsk agreement, end quote. To do the restoring, Soros blithely notes that, quote, General Wesley Clark, Polish General Skripsak, and a few specialists under the auspices of the Atlantic Council will advise President Poroshenko how to restore the fighting capacity of Ukraine without violating the Minsk agreement, end quote. Soros also calls for supplying lethal arms to Ukraine and secretly training Ukrainian army personnel in Romania to avoid direct NATO presence in Ukraine. The Atlantic Council is a leading Washington pro-NATO think tank. Notably, Wesley Clark is also a business associate of Soros in BNK Petroleum, which does business in Poland. Wesley Clark, some might recall, was the mentally unstable NATO general in charge of the 1999 bombing of Serbia, who ordered NATO soldiers to fire on Russian soldiers guarding the Pristina International Airport. The Russians were there as part of an agreed joint NATO-Russia peacekeeping operation supposed to police Kosovo. The British commander, General Mike Jackson, refused Clark, retorting, quote, I'm not going to start the Third World War for you, end quote. Now Clark apparently decided to come out of retirement for the chance to go at Russia directly. In his March 2015 memo, Soros further writes that Ukrainian President Poroshenko's, quote, first priority must be to regain control of financial markets, end quote, which Soros assures Poroshenko he would be ready to assist in. I am ready to call Jack Lew of the U.S. Treasury to sound him out about the swap agreement. That's a direct quote from Soros. He also calls on the EU to give Ukraine an annual aid sum of 11 billion euros via a special EU borrowing facility. Soros proposes, in effect, using the EU's AAA top credit rating to provide a risk insurance for investment into Ukraine. Whose risk would the EU insure? Soros details, quote, I am prepared to invest up to 1 billion euros in Ukrainian businesses. This is likely to attract the interest of the investment community. As stated above, Ukraine must become an attractive investment destination, end quote. Not to leave any doubt, Soros continues. The investments will be for profit, but I will pledge to contribute the profits to my foundations. This should allay suspicions that I am advocating policies in search of personal gain. Isn't that incredible? 
So George Soros is going to invest this money. He's going to take EU money and back it using their triple A credit rating. And he's going to attract new investors into Ukraine. He wants it to be an attractive investment destination. And with all that money, they are going to start for-profit businesses. And those businesses will be made successful due to the huge investments and due to their infiltration into the government that will push these businesses forward. These businesses will be the leaders in Ukraine. They will make a ton of money. And rather than that money that they have created in for-profit industry using European Union tax dollars to back it, going to George Soros, which would just look bad. It would just have bad optics. George Soros is getting rich after having overthrown another country. (laughs) No one wants to see that. We're just going to funnel all that profit into George Soros's philanthropy funds. It's all going to go to the foundation. So all of these businesses that George Soros backs, they're going to be private for-profit businesses, just totally separate from government, totally separate from everything. You know, private businesses like the tech companies in the United States, private businesses creating profit rather than the money going to George Soros. It's all going to go to his foundation. And then George Soros is going to use his foundation money to do things like fund BLM Antifa and their counterparts around the world, some of which are cartels and terrorist organizations. Isn't it amazing how that works? It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a system. For anyone familiar with the history of the Soros Open Society Foundations in Eastern Europe and around the world since the late 1980s, we will know that his supposedly philanthropic democracy building projects in Poland, Russia or Ukraine in the 1990s allowed Soros, the businessman, to literally plunder the former communist countries using Harvard University's shock therapy messiah and Soros associate Jeffrey Sachs to convince the post-Soviet governments to privatize and open to a free market at once rather than gradually. See that? They support private industry. It's just that all the private industry, all the profit they create gets funneled right back into the Open Society Foundation. So Soros gets to control the industry and then he uses the money to infiltrate the politics. And once you've got the politics and the industry, you'll just simply have them work together. And for whose benefit? Well, for your benefit, if you're George Soros, for the benefit of the people around you, like the other global communists and philanthropists and the bankers. In every way, this is the literal definition of fascism. It is the combining of government with the corporations who control the supply chains, what people can buy, and who gets employed. Just think of how many corporations went along with the entire COVID agenda, while everyone could see it was all a lie. Think about the corporate partners of the World Economic Forum. If you're not aware of them, go to weforum.org, find the partners section, and then Go through letter by letter of the alphabet and look at all of the companies that are World Economic Forum partners. They have a code of conduct in the World Economic Forum. You have to 
promote the World Economic Forum and never speak against the World Economic Forum. With that partnership, you are guaranteeing you will go along with their agenda. And so many corporations worldwide are doing exactly that. The same thing is happening with politicians and governments worldwide. Klaus Schwab brags that the World Economic Forum has infiltrated governments around the world. Think about how these companies are going along with the ESG agenda. They are using the combination of government and the corporation to change society in whatever way necessary to further implement their agenda. And as we've talked about many times, their agenda is indeed global communism. The example of Soros in Liberia is instructive for understanding the seemingly seamless interplay between Soros, the shrewd businessman, and Soros, the philanthropist. In West Africa, George Soros backed a former Open Society employee of his, Liberian President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, giving her international publicity and through his influence, even arranging a Nobel Peace Prize for her in 2011, ensuring her election as president. Oh, man. Remember when Barack Hussein Obama was given the Nobel Peace Prize for not doing anything other than getting elected while black? I wonder if his close relationship with George Soros has anything to do with that. I wonder if Soros just plays the same game over and over and over again in different countries around the world. And if he does, couldn't we figure out what that game is and know how it works and know how to properly respond to it? Couldn't we see it as a system rather than pretending that all these countries have nothing to do with one another? That all of these situations are distinct and unrelated. We can't learn anything else at all. Before her presidency, she had been well indoctrinated into the Western free market game, studying economics at Harvard and working for the U.S. controlled World Bank in Washington and the Rockefeller City Bank in Nairobi. Before becoming Liberia's president, she worked for Soros directly as chair of his Open Society Initiative for West Africa. Once in office, President Sirleaf opened the doors for Soros to take over major Liberian gold and base metals assets, along with his partner, Nathaniel Rothschild. One of her first acts as president was also to invite the Pentagon's new Africa Command, AFRICOM, into Liberia, whose purpose, as a Liberian investigation revealed, was to, quote, protect George Soros and Rothschild mining operations in West Africa rather than champion stability and human rights, end quote. And if you want to pursue that claim farther, they do link the report. The Soros memo makes clear he has his eyes on the Ukrainian state gas and energy monopoly, Naftogaz. He writes, the centerpiece of economic reforms will be the reorganization of Naftogaz and the introduction of market pricing for all forms of energy, replacing hidden subsidies. In an earlier letter, Soros wrote in December 2014 to both President Poroshenko and Prime Minister Yatsenyuk, Soros openly called for his shock therapy. I want to appeal to you to unite behind the reformers in your government and give your wholehearted support to a radical big bang type of approach. That is to say, administrative controls would be removed and the economy would move to market prices rapidly rather than gradually. NAFTA gas needs to be reorganized with a big bang replacing the hidden subsidies. So he deposes the government, installs 
puppet leaders and then completely changes over industries to his own benefit. But wait, not to his benefit. All the profits will just go into his foundation. Splitting NAFTA gas into separate companies could allow Soros to take control of one of the new branches and essentially privatize its profits. He already suggested that he indirectly brought in U.S. consulting company McKinsey to advise NAFTA gas on the privatization Big Bang. The totality of what is revealed in the three hack documents show that Soros is effectively the puppet master pulling most of the strings in Kiev. Soros Foundation's Ukraine branch, International Renaissance Foundation, has been involved in Ukraine since 1989. His IRF doled out more than $100 million to Ukrainian NGOs two years before the fall of the Soviet Union, creating the preconditions for Ukraine's independence from Russia in 1991. Soros also admitted to financing the 2013-2014 Maidan Square protests that brought the current government into power. By now, it should begin to sound like George Soros has simply owned Ukraine for a long time. It does not matter that the media doesn't report this. It does not matter that the people commenting on the Ukraine war ignore this. Those facts do not make all of this untrue. You know this is true. You can see it playing out right before your eyes. There is no way that Vladimir Putin does not know and understand this. Vladimir Putin has been dealing with George Soros for decades. Soros's foundations were also deeply involved in the 2004 Orange Revolution that brought the corrupt but pro-NATO Viktor Yushchenko into power with his American wife who had been in the U.S. State Department. In 2004, just weeks after Soros's International Renaissance Foundation had succeeded in getting Viktor Yushchenko as president of Ukraine, Michael McFaul wrote an op-ed for The Washington Post. McFaul, a specialist in organizing color revolutions, who later became U.S. ambassador to Russia, revealed, Did Americans meddle in the internal affairs of Ukraine? Yes. The American agents of influence would prefer different language to describe their activities democratic assistance, democracy promotion, civil society support, etc. But their work, however labeled, seeks to influence political change in Ukraine. The U.S. Agency for International Development, the National Endowment for Democracy, and a few other foundations sponsored certain U.S. organizations, including Freedom House, the International Republican Institute, the National Democratic Institute, the Solidarity Center, the Eurasia Foundation, Internews and several others to provide small grants and technical assistance to Ukrainian civil society, the European Union, individual European countries and the Soros funded International Renaissance Foundation did the same. Nothing about that is confusing. Nothing about that is a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory at all. It's a system. Here is how the system works. They have no problem telling you because they believe that they are in a position of power and that they can wield that power and influence public opinion. They control the means of information. And after they have influenced public opinion to believe that all of this stuff is good and that everybody agrees it's good, then they can do whatever they want. They have no problem telling people what they're trying to do and who they're doing it with that's what makes it seem legitimate to people who aren't paying attention. 
Today, the Cyber Berkut hacked papers show that Soros's IRF money is behind creation of a National Reform Council, a body organized by presidential decree from Poroshenko, which allows the Ukrainian president to push bills through Ukraine's legislature. Soros writes, quote, the framework for bringing the various branches of government together has also emerged. The National Reform Council brings together the presidential administration, the cabinet of ministers, the RADA, and its committees and civil society. The International Renaissance Foundation, which is the Ukrainian branch of the Soros Foundations, was the sole financial supporter of the NRC until now, end quote. Soros's NRC, in effect, is the vehicle to allow the president to override parliamentary debate to push through, quote unquote, reforms, with the declared first priority being privatization of NAFTA gas and raising gas prices drastically to Ukrainian industry and households, something the bankrupt country can hardly afford. In his letter to Poroshenko and Yatsenyuk, Soros hints that he played a key role in selection of the three key non-Ukrainian ministers, Natalie Giaresco, an American ex-State Department official as finance minister, Ivros Abramovichis of Lithuania as economics minister, and a health minister from Georgia. Soros, in his December 2014 letter, referring to his proposal for a, quote, big bank, end quote, privatization of NAFTA gas and price rise states, quote, you are fortunate to have appointed three new Ukrainian ministers and several natives who are committed to this approach. Elsewhere, Soros speaks about de facto creating the impression within the EU that the current government of Yatsenyuk is finally cleaning out the notorious corruption that has dominated every Kiev regime since 1991. Creating that temporary reform illusion, he remarks, will convince the EU to cough up the 11 billion euro annual investment insurance fund. His March 2015 paper says it is essential for the government to produce a visible demonstration during the next three months in order to change the widely prevailing image of Ukraine as an utterly corrupt country that he states will open the EU to make the 11 billion euro Insurance Guarantee Investment Fund. While saying that it is important to show Ukraine as a country that is not corrupt, Soros reveals he has little concern when transparency and proper procedures block his agenda. Talking about his proposals to reform Ukraine's constitution to enable privatizations and other Soros-friendly moves, he complains, quote, the process has been slowed down by the insistence of the newly elected RADA on proper procedures and total transparency. So he has essentially a Congress that doesn't want to go along with his agenda, but he has the power in other branches and parts of the government. And so he wants to override the people's representatives who do not want the Soros agenda implemented. Does that sound familiar? Soros suggests that he intends to create this visible demonstration through his initiatives, such as using the Soros funded National Reform Council, a body organized by presidential decree, which allows the Ukrainian president to push bills through Ukraine's legislature. George Soros is also using his new European Council on Foreign Relations think tank to lobby his Ukraine strategy with his council members, such as Alexander Graf Lambsdorff or Joska Fischer or Carl Theodore Zu Gutenberg, not to mention former ECB head Jean-Claude Trichet, no doubt playing a subtle role. George Soros, now 84, again, this is 2015, 
was born in Hungary as a Jew, George Soros with a Z on the end. Soros once boasted in a TV interview that he posed during the war as a Gentile with forged papers, assisting the Horthy government to seize property of other Hungarian Jews who were being shipped to the Nazi death camps. Soros told the TV moderator, there was no sense that I shouldn't be there because that was, well, actually, in a funny way, it's just like in markets that if I weren't there, of course, I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would. This is the same morality apparently behind Soros's activities in Ukraine today. It seems again to matter not to him that the Ukrainian government he helped bring to power in February 2014 through a U.S.-led coup d'etat is riddled with explicit anti-Semites and self-proclaimed neo-Nazis from the Svoboda party and Pravi sector. George Soros is clearly a devotee of public-private partnership. Only here the public gets fleeced to enrich private investors like Mr. Soros and friends. Cynically, Soros signs his Ukraine strategy memo, George Soros, a self-appointed advocate of the new Ukraine, March 12th, 2015. Again, not a conspiracy theory. This is a system. This is a system that George Soros has used over and over again, most particularly in Eastern Europe in the former Soviet bloc countries, but again and again around the world, in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, all around Africa, in South America, and now, yes, here in the United States of America. There has never been any doubt that Ukraine has a long history of Nazism. The Svoboda party is prominent. They helped in the overthrow of the Ukrainian government. They are doing George Soros's bidding. It is not good enough to say George Soros and Volodymyr Zelensky are Jewish. That doesn't matter at all. All that argument is, is to say Nazis are okay as long as they have a Jewish leader we approve of. And at that point, you can basically forget about the fact that the leader is Jewish the only part that matters is whether or not they approve of it. Nazis are okay whenever they say they're okay. If you argue with that, you are anti-Semitic. So I could easily be called by those people anti-Semitic for taking a strong anti-Nazi stance. And then what does that mean about the claim of anti-Semitism? It's anti-Semitism Whenever those same people say so, those people who are supporting actual Nazis at this point, you should completely understand that none of this makes sense. It should be lost on no one that these are the very same people calling all of us racist against black people, despite the fact that it's not us. It's not our ideology that created the Klan that created Jim Crow, that has created urban decay in every single city in our country where Democrats are in power. It has always been the same thing. There was no grand switcheroo at the Civil Rights Act. Joe Biden's Democrat mentor, Senator Robert Byrd, filibustered the Civil Rights Act and then mentored Joe Biden in politics for 40 years. Robert Byrd was a Klan leader. 
None of this is hard to understand. It actually all fits together perfectly unless you want to bias yourself toward the central narrative. The central narrative contains all of this and its opposite and its opposite is promoted. And that is a reversal that's only possible within a full false reality in the empirical observable reality with history being what it is and the current scenario being exactly what it is and that history and the current scenario connecting perfectly, even with the same people. You should have no problem understanding which of those narratives contains the truth and which one of them is a product of the false reality. And if you need any more convincing, let's actually listen to George Soros from the 60 Minutes interview that that article was just referencing. You can find the video on my telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Use the search feature, type in Soros 60 Minutes or go straight to YouTube. The title of the video is, Is George Soros a Sociopath? I think that uh, I've been blamed, blamed for everything. I am basically there to uh, to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of, of what I do. To understand the complexities and contradictions in his personality, you have to go back to the very beginning, to Budapest, where George Soros was born 68 years ago to parents who were wealthy, well-educated, and Jewish. When the Nazis occupied Budapest in 1944, George Soros's father was a successful lawyer. He lived on an island in the Danube and liked to commute to work in a rowboat. But knowing there were problems ahead for the Jews, he decided to split his family up. He bought them forged papers, and he bribed a government official to take 14-year-old George Soros in and swear that he was his Christian godson. But survival carried a heavy price tag. While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds confiscating property from the Jews. These are pictures from 1944 of what happened to George Soros's friends and neighbors. You're a Hungarian Jew mm -hmm. who escaped the Holocaust mm -hmm. by posing as a, a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? That one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events. Uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child, you don't, you don't see the connection. Uh, uh, but it was, it created no, no problem at all. No feeling of guilt. No. For example, that, uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go. I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. 
Well, uh, of course, I, uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there, because uh, that was... Uh, uh, well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets, that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, 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 would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt. Are you religious? No. That's quite a philosophy, isn't it? The evil would have happened regardless so it doesn't matter that I participated in it. While the truth is, if no one had participated in the evil and made those kinds of excuses, perhaps the evil wouldn't have happened. With that explanation, George Soros can rationalize and justify absolutely anything. Well, if I didn't destroy this country's currency, someone would have. So it might as well be me. Someone was going to do it. It should be me who reaps the benefit. And you heard him there just before he began talking about the Nazis. He said he cannot and does not consider the social implications of what he does. He's only there to make money. Now, isn't that interesting that all of his programs, the way that he broadcasts them to the world, whether they're through UN and the 2030 agenda, the World Economic Forum and their agenda that lines right up the WHO, all of these global bodies all of them now are committed to things like equity and representation and social good and uh, climate and sustainability. They are trying to create the image that everything they're doing is specifically for social good. They actually care only about the social implications of what they're doing. Understand that that just isn't true. And every part of their agenda represents the same philosophy. All of these things that they're doing that are so good in the world are not so good. They created problems and now they have created the solutions. They are selling those solutions as goods to the people. So the people will continue to accept the infiltration of George Soros and his allies in global communism and the politicians and corporate leaders and lifestyle that that infiltration produces. George Soros was working with Nazis in 1944, and he's been working with Nazis in Ukraine right up till the present day. I wonder if there's anything that might connect those two periods. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. But in this case, it's not even a system. It's just one person that connects the entire thing. But you can't say that it's anti-Semitic to criticize George Soros. George Soros, who's worked with Nazis for 80 years, you can't criticize him or else you're the anti-Semitic one. And how does all this get covered up? How is it all obscured from the public? Why does it seem like this whole Ukraine as winning narrative must have something real to it? Well, here's why. This is from a website called thecountersignal.com. The headline is 
Keen Bext offered thousands to push pro-Ukraine agenda. And I actually saw this on Twitter today. Keen Bext actually tweeted this out. The counter signal founder, Keen Bext, has been offered thousands of dollars of dark money to push pro-Ukrainian propaganda across his massive Twitter following. Bext was contacted on Twitter by a user named Volodymyr Kuzma and offered $200 for each tweet in support of Ukraine. Kuzma asked Bext to tweet several times per week. He also said he already has other journalists on his payroll. Would you consider posting links to human rights articles on your Twitter page? Kuzma said in a message to Bex, who has more than 215,000 followers on Twitter. These articles are published in well-known publications such as Amnesty, Reuters, DW, etc. Kuzma continued. Kuzma then listed some sample articles and said, I am also willing to pay for each post published. Facial recognition technology revealed that Kuzma is a Ukrainian journalist. Kuzma told Bext he represents the organization Human's Virtue. He also told Bext not to credit Human's Virtue for the posts, but to publish them anonymously, saying no links to Human's Virtue are required. I will be given a list with links in a few days. The articles are ready. You will need to choose one from the list and publish it. In another message, Kuzma asked Bext what he thought about the war in Ukraine. I am Ukrainian. I live in Ukraine at the moment, he said. On Twitter, Bext questioned where Kuzma is getting his massive cash flow. The average salary in Ukraine was around 845 US dollars per month in 2021. Is this our own tax money being funneled through Ukraine to buy off people to support their cause? Bext questioned. I thought Ukraine was on the good side. Why are they buying off journalists? The efforts come amid escalation between Russia and NATO, which has backed Ukraine through weapons training, and precious military intel. Both NATO and Russia are holding nuclear bomb drills this month, and both groups have accused the other of ramping up nuclear bomb threats. Once you control the government and once you control the corporations, the corporations that control media, well, then all you have to do is take government money and give it to the media corporations. And when you've done that, the citizens, the taxpayers will be paying to have themselves propagandized while people, journalists, influencers that they have come to trust are getting paid to disseminate the propaganda. So we can see the presence of George Soros's influence in our own culture. And we see that in the race agenda. We see it in the gender agenda. We see it in the Black Lives Matter Antifa agenda. Part of the original agenda of Black Lives Matter was the destruction of the nuclear family. That's not a joke. It's not extreme. It's not hyperbolic. It was in their agenda. They don't want families because when people are atomized from their families, who do they turn to? They turn to the state. They turn to other systems of authority. It becomes much easier to destabilize a culture once you have already destabilized a family. Neighborhoods with drugs and crime destabilize families. Schools that indoctrinate children into the gender agenda and the race agenda destabilize families. And of course, part of that is weakening the culture of masculinity just as much as it is 
weakening the culture of femininity. Remember, Ketanji Brown Jackson, in her Senate hearing for her confirmation to the Supreme Court after being nominated by an illegitimate president, so we'll see how long that lasts, said that she could not define what a woman is. And she does that while claiming the honor of being the first black woman to be nominated to the Supreme Court. So I guess someone knows what a woman is. And they're similarly trying to undefine what a man is. Once they have taken away all the common characteristics of man, once they have called all of that toxic masculinity, then they have removed the resistance of men. Just like when they devalue motherhood and a mother's role in the household, they devalue femininity. And that's just a safer field for them to play on. This is from the Washington Post today by a true communist sociopath named Jennifer Rubin, one of the saddest and strangest, most hideous little witches that the communist movement has created in our country. Hawley is right that there is a masculinity crisis. It's inside the GOP. Cartoonish appeals to toxic masculinity is as much a feature of the MAGA movement as white grievance mongering. Republicans whine about an emasculated woke military. They insist on reducing women to second class citizens without personal agency. They revel in Trumpian cruelty, for instance, manipulating unwary asylum seekers. Okay. It is a party consumed with, quote, the thrill of cruelty and a juvenile boorishness meant largely to enrage others, as the Atlantic's Tom Nichols put it. And Tom Nichols, he is like the pinnacle of manhood for people like Jennifer Rubin, someone who will literally serve his masters perfectly all the time. He will say absolutely anything to promote not only the globalist agenda, but himself as someone who should be taken seriously. Senator Josh Hawley has made a cottage industry in bemoaning the loss of masculinity. As David French explained in an interview with Vox in January, it's the logic of a movement centered around aggression, divorced from virtue, that indulges in apocalyptic rhetoric. This Flipping upside down of morality, turning bullying into strength, turning restraint into vice, he explains, enables the Trumpists and the Trumpist world. Bizarrely, the test of manliness is now measured in one's subservience to a cult of personality. Ah, yes, we are all cult members once again, even though none of us took the vaccine that Trump said we should consider taking. We are so cult-like. We'll just change our beliefs and do whatever we're told all the time. We'll even pretend we don't know what men and women are or that children should be allowed to change their own genders at age five because some pink-haired teacher told them that was good. And if you protest, oh, that's toxic masculinity. You got that? Toxic masculinity, protecting the sanctity of childhood is toxic masculinity. Ironically, the loudest of the bully boys displays none of the virtues typically characterized as masculine, courage, strength, and self-discipline. Former President Donald Trump avoided military service, and his followers have been cowed into parroting his lies. The strongest, 
most courageous and most honorable Republican by a mile is Representative Liz Cheney, who refuses to knuckle under to Trump and his mob. She's a singular truth teller, whereas House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is the image of a cowering careerist who days after the January 6th, 2021 insurrection was back to kissing Trump's ring. Cheney has repeatedly slammed McCarthy for his weakness, dinging him for failing to stand up for the Constitution. She mocked him for going to Mar-a-Lago to meet with Trump after the attack on the Capitol. Indeed, she has publicly lectured her party for sacrificing their honor. As she put it during one hearing for the House January 6th Select Committee, there will come a day when President Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. <laughs> she also contrasted the bravery of female witnesses such as former White House official Cassidy Hutchinson with the mealy-mouthed, quote, 50, 60, and 70-year-old men who hide themselves behind executive privilege. She has underscored that GOP leaders are cowering, childish flunkies, far from honorable, courageous, and stalwart men. Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was disproven within hours of her giving it. Widely disproven. But that doesn't matter to Jennifer Rubin because in the false reality, Cassidy Hutchinson was not a liar, just making things up and doing as she's told, even though everything she said was proven wrong. No, she's a hero. That's the real courage. The Republicans' manliness deficit has been glaring in the recent midterm debates. Representative Tim Ryan, the Democratic nominee in Ohio's Senate contest, went after his Republican opponent, J.D. Vance, in their first debate for letting Trump take away his dignity at a recent rally. I don't know anybody I grew up with. I don't know anybody I went to high school with that would allow someone to take their dignity like that and then get back up on stage, he declared. We need leaders who have the courage to take on their own party. And I've proven that. And he was called an ass kisser by the former president. Oh, yes, his dignity is totally gone. How is he ever going to recover? And of course, Tim Ryan stands up to his own party. That's why he votes with them 100% of the time to implement the global communist agenda. Meanwhile, Representative Val Demings, the Democratic nominee for Florida's Senate seat, was the image of strength in her debate against Senator Marco Rubio, who seemed to personify the little Marco put down that Trump invented during the 2016 campaign. Demings declared Marco Rubio hasn't run anything but his mouth. She exuded pity for the man who twisted himself in knots to please the MAGA base. I'm really disappointed in you, Marco Rubio, because I think there was a time when you did not lie in order to win, she said. I don't know what happened to you. Yes, you see, these emotional arguments, regardless of their factual basis, that is what real people of strength and integrity do. And real men respond to emotional arguments and then do whatever they're told. Haven't you always understood that's what real men do? Real men do whatever they're told. After being browbeaten with emotional reasons and justifications lacking any rational basis. That's how to be a real man, according to Jennifer Rubin, who pretty clearly has never had a real man anywhere in her life 
And that's how she ended up as Jennifer Rubin. Put differently, far from displaying the masculine virtues they imagine are endangered, Republicans have become the party of fearful men afraid to stand on principle. By contrast, Democrats, who have long been accused of weakness or timidity, have seized the moment. Despite their historical wariness of talking about values, they have managed to do two things quite effectively. First, Democrats in many cases have backed culturally appropriate candidates who sound and look like working class voters, for example, Ryan and John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, or who have proved their courage under fire, like Demings, who served as Orlando police chief. You get that? She was chief of police. Therefore, she's automatically brave. And in backing independent Evan McMullen for Utah's Senate seat, Democrats also found someone who risked his life for his country. A stark contrast to Republican Senator Mike Lee, who violated his oath and dishonored his office by assisting Trump's coup attempt. Second, Democrats figured out that the big lie is not simply a constitutional outrage, but a sign of fear of telling the truth. They show real zeal in skewering opponents, not only for policy positions, but also for weak character. Republicans have certainly made themselves into easy targets, as never Trumper Mona Sharon observed in the bulwark in demanding that Republicans debase themselves. Trump has emasculated every other Republican. He may look strong, but he demands that every other Republican become weak in his service. None of their hysterical warnings about wokeism or their bullying of pregnant women can conceal that. Any voter not trapped in the right wing media bubble can see that Republican politicians have sacrificed their manliness at the altar of Trump idolatry. Perhaps Hawley's panic over lost masculinity isn't so far fetched. <laughs> you get it? All the Republicans, all the men in the country and the women, for that matter, have all subjected themselves to the cult like thinking. They have all joined the Donald Trump cult. And if you have a problem with anything Democrats do, well, you've joined the cult, too. Who should we trust? Who are our examples of strength and character and courage? Well, the Atlantic's Tom Nichols, David French being interviewed by Vox, Liz Cheney, who lost her primary by 37 points. Cassidy Hutchinson, who was proven as a liar just hours later. Tim Ryan, who's going to lose his race in Ohio and who votes with Joe Biden and the illegitimate regime 100% of the time. And Val Demings, a woman who's about to lose to Marco Rubio. These are the examples of strength. But wait, there's more. John Fetterman, who can't think without computer assistance. Evan McMullen, a former CIA officer who attempted to run for president as a Republican in 2020. And Mona Charon from the bulwark. And it should be pretty clear what Jennifer Rubin is doing. She's saying, hey, these are the good ones. And if you don't agree, you're a terrible person. If you're a man and don't agree, you're not a man anymore. 
We've redefined man, just like we redefined woman and redefined vaccine and redefined herd immunity and redefined the definition of definition. Yes, they really did that in Merriam-Webster. This is how they destabilize cultures through propaganda. When countries are destabilized, they are easily infiltrated. They are easily taken over. And once enough of that progress is made, they scale back a little bit. They allow the tides to seem like they're turning a little bit, and then they'll start it over again. They run the system over and over and over and over. This is the color revolution playbook. This is the playbook they use again and again and again. They use it worldwide and the system never shuts off. It is just a repetition in cycles on slightly different timelines with different variations customized for the countries. And it is always in motion. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. The system exists to produce the results as set out in the agenda. They have no problem describing the agenda. They have no problem describing the goals. All you have to do is see it. It's not a mistake. This is who these people are. It's who they've always been. They've been doing the same thing for decades. They are supporting Nazis right now in front of everyone. And we're supposed to pretend it doesn't exist. See what you see, recognize things for what they are and call the thing what it is. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!